It's a privilege to introduce Abby Jeffrey as our scripture reader this morning. Abby and her family have been at Bible Center worshiping about nine years. Abby serves on the AVL team in the youth group in student ministry and is also part of groups in student ministry. As you just saw, she graduated from high school yesterday and is headed off to Asbury College in the fall. I'm excited to have Abby read the scriptures for us this morning. Please turn in your Bible or Bible apps to Philemon 17 through 20. Please stand for the reading of God's word. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Abby. What comes to your mind when you hear the two words, family vacation? Family vacation. Maybe instantly your mind goes to this. Maybe you're headed here this summer. And you're going to post all over your Facebook about it so the rest of us uh, can drool as we look at your summer vacation. Maybe your summer vacation is here. You prefer the mountains. They're more your speed. Some of you are hoping to go to an amusement park, Kings Island or Cedar Point. And so you have vacation on your mind. Let's think about how vacations typically start. They typically start with a lot of optimism. They start with a lot of joy. People are singing songs. You know, you've got the public iPod or phone in the car. Everybody's listening. Everybody's having a good time. There's a lot of fun. But 300 miles on the interstate can change our perspective in a matter of hours. You know, kids are fighting over who's hogging more of the back seat. Who gets to hold the DVD player, if anybody even still uses DVD players anymore. Mom has to go to the bathroom for the 14th time, and it's killing dad because he's got a gas mileage goal that he has to hit and beat the gas mileage that he got last vacation. And really, church is a lot like this. We often, in church, we are surrounded with a lot of optimism. The church is built on hope. We sing a lot of songs, and there is a lot of joy, and there should be, over the good news of the gospel but the farther along we go in church and the farther along we go in life with other believers, sometimes life can look, can look more like this scene when we realize each other are human. This dad is brilliant. Uh, if he would market that, I'm sure he'd be a millionaire. Don't you ever wish you could do that in life? You know, with your neighbors, with your family, with your spouse, with your brothers, with your sisters, with your coworkers, and so on. Unfortunately, we can't do that. We live in community. We live in relationships. So how do we navigate uh, these rough waters of life? This morning, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us how. And in these four verses, he gives three simple commands. It's very practical. So after the last two Sundays of dealing with more of the theology and the behind the scenes, today we're going to get very practical. How do we make friends with our enemies. I invite you to follow along in your notes or on the app if that's helpful. Number one, sympathize with their perspective. Number one, 
we can sympathize with their perspective. In verse 17, it begins with the little word, so. Uh, So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. The Apostle Paul had one primary way of writing. He would lay out all these reasons and all this truth, and then about halfway through all of his letters, he gives us a so or a therefore. In other words, in light of everything I have just told you, let me get intensely practical and help you with your everyday life. If you've been gone the last two weeks, we're talking about the story of the real story of Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon was a wealthy slaveholder in the city of Colossae, modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. And Philemon had gone to Ephesus, heard the, the Apostle Paul preach the good news of Jesus. He believes in Jesus, comes back to his hometown Colossae, and he and a local pastor start a church in their home. So you can imagine he must have had a home big enough to house this first century early church. And one of the slaves in his household was a man by the name of Onesimus. We're going to talk about slavery in a moment. But evidently, Onesimus steals from his master. He runs away, probably to Rome. The text doesn't say, but Paul was imprisoned in Rome, so he probably went to Rome, probably even used the money that he had stolen or the property that he had stolen from from Philemon to barter his way to Rome. But in God's God's providence, he meets the Apostle Paul, hears the gospel, and becomes a believer in Jesus, just like his master Philemon had become a believer in Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul was in a catch-22. He loved loved Philemon back in Colossae. Philemon may have been a supporter of his ministry, but he also loved Onesimus. Onesimus, this slave, becomes a follower of Jesus And he knows he has to send Onesimus back. Now, there's a number of things he could have done. He could have, instead of sending him back, he could have sent Philemon a treatise on why slavery was wrong. And I would argue that he did something even better than that to strike the death blow to slavery for generations to come. But instead, he sends his Onesimus back to his master with a letter of reconciliation. And he says, don't receive him as a slave any longer, but receive him as a brother. Yes, he stole from you. Yes, he did wrong. Yes, he deserves everything uh, that you say he should get. But I'm asking you to show him mercy. And I'm asking you to be reconciled to him, not as a slave, but as a brother. Last week, we really drilled down into verse 17. But this week, I've been... Uh, just caught with the tone of Paul's voice. It has struck me as a pastor, as a father, as a husband. I invite you to go back to verse 1, and let's look through a few of these verses and see how he's sensitive to Philemon's perspective. He's writing to this wealthy businessman. In verse 1, Paul says, A prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, probably uh, Philemon's wife and son, and the church that's in your house. Notice his tone in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. 
because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort. Here we go again, love. Comfort from your love. That is loud rain. (laughs) I'll speak as loudly as I can. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, am an old man and now a prisoner. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He could have just thrown down the gauntlet. Paul could have said, I am the apostle, I've seen Jesus, I'm in charge. But instead, the apostle Paul says, I'm going to take more of a pastoral tone with you, and I'm going to appeal to you, I'm going to speak softly to you, I'm going to ask you, by grace, to do the grace-filled thing. And so he's sensitive to Philemon's perspective. What would have happened had the Apostle Paul tried to argue just on legal terms? If he would have said, Philemon, let's talk about legalities. Paul was trained in the law. Paul not only knew Jewish law, Paul would have known Roman law. And Paul could have said, let's talk about the law. If they would have gone law to law, Philemon would have won. Philemon could have opened the law books and, and said, hey, right here it says that Onesimus deserves to be beaten, and I even have the right to kill him for stealing from me as my slave and running away. But he doesn't deal with him on the matters of law for law. He deals with him from his own perspective, and that is trying to be sympathetic with his perspective and bring reconciliation through grace. You know, this week, I was just telling somebody a moment ago, walking through the book of Philemon, I had intentionally prepared these messages for you. I usually do that every week, right? That's kind of my, part of my job. But this week, Philemon has been more for me in really the last three weeks. And I've been blown away even in the last few days looking at the tone and the lessons that we can learn from the way Paul brings reconciliation to a somewhat sticky situation. There's a few principles I want to share. They're not numbered because I don't want to confuse anybody's outline. But if you're taking notes, here's the first principle. The first step to reconciliation is understanding. The first step to reconciliation is understanding. What would cause this person to be upset with me or someone else? What trials is this person currently experiencing? What pressures are they under? What in their story or in their past would cause them to feel this way? Or what unfulfilled expectations do they have in life that would cause them to be angry about what's happened? I said last week that when I was waiting to go on full time at our church in Louisville, right when I went to seminary, I worked for a short time at Charter Communications. Part of that time initially was receiving phone calls from people like maybe some of you, Uh, if you've ever called upset or angry that your cable didn't work. And they taught us from the very beginning how to bring peace to harmful situations. I wish I would have had this class all the way back in Bible college uh, in 2000. But they said the number one thing to do is listen. 
Don't start talking, but start by listening. And it was brilliant. And you sit down and someone is angry because at first it was their cable didn't work. Eventually, I was part of a division where anybody in the organization of about a thousand or so employees, if they were mad at another employee, they came into my office and we got to watch two people duke it out verbally. It was a pleasant job. It was great. But listening always played a role in understanding. There was the occasional crazy person who would call. Um, We had one lady call one night, and she was angry because she was convinced Charter Communications Cable Company was spying on her, and we were videotaping her through the little red light on the front of her DVR. And so she put a piece of tape over it so we could no longer videotape her. We had a little phrase we would say, you can't argue with crazy. You just can't argue with crazy. Well, I remember one instance, we had some tornadoes out in the Midwest. We covered Nebraska and Oklahoma. And you could see it on the news where tornadoes were ripping through cities. And we knew we were going to get flooded with calls. And we got a call one night from a guy who was irate that his internet was out. It was in a very town that a tornado had just ripped through. And he was angry and he was just spewing and it was all our fault. And the words he was saying make you want to take a bath after you're done. You're thinking, man, it's not, you know, you want to say, hey, it's not my fault a tornado just went through your town. But you wouldn't dare say that. He just, evidently he knew who to call or he just needed to vent. And sometimes people in our lives get angry at us, not because of any fault of our own, but simply because they're mad or they just need to vent. There's another principle. If you're taking notes, it goes like this. Just because a person's perspective isn't right doesn't mean it isn't real. Just because a person's perspective isn't right doesn't mean it isn't real. This past week, going through this text, God's bringing things to my heart. Who am I at odds with? Or who's been at odds with me growing up in this city, living here most of my life? Who is it that I need to go to? A friend and I on Monday, we met and began to just share how uh, he and I have been somewhat at, at odds with each other, couldn't name all the reasons. And we met up here in my office and just laid out hey man, this is why I have really had a hard time being around you. And this is why I've, Matt, have been a really hard time being around you. And what came out of that conversation, it's not like we walked out of there and everything is perfect, but what came out of that conversation on Monday was that if I believed what he believed, I would be mad at me too. And if he believed what I believed, he would be mad at him too. And sometimes in life, these relationships, we begin to build a case in our minds against someone and them against us. And when we finally sit down to talk that out and lay all of our cards on the table, usually the truth lies somewhere between two extremes. And we think it's all them and they think it's all us. But sometimes our perspective may not be right, but it feels very real. In college, I went to Bible college Some of you in here, I know, went to Bible college as well. Bible college is a lot like boot camp. Now, veterans, you'll forgive me for saying that. I've never been to boot camp, but I have imagined it's kind of like boot camp with a Bible beat down added to it. 
uh, just for four years, you know, how much can we break you down in Bible college? Another great experience. Uh, I remember I was a dorm supervisor my sophomore year, and somebody got expelled from the dorm, another dorm. And man, Mr. Justice, I, it drove me crazy when I found out that they had, somebody had gotten expelled. I knew this person. And I went, marched right into the dean of students, who's now the president of the college, and I gave him a piece of my mind. Now, it takes some guts to do that, right? You know, I was getting discounted tuition. My job was on the line. It didn't matter. He was wrong. And I marched right in there with my preacher finger and told him what I thought about it. He listened, didn't say a word, till I finally stopped. And I never forget it. He says, Matt, let's open up our Bibles and look at a verse. And he turned to Proverbs 8.13, 13. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame unto him. In other words, there are times that we get our minds made up that that person is wrong. And we build a case and we go nuclear with social media and we're angry and we're upset. And then we hear that there is another side to the story. May the Lord help us, all of us, including your pastor, to be people who hear the matter before we're so quick to answer it. Because God says it is folly, which is a gracious way to say foolish. So much misunderstanding involved in our relationships. Another principle, one last principle I'd like to give from this verse is simply this. God calls us to love people more than we love being right. God calls us to love people more than we love being right. When our girls were little, they would argue and fight. They don't do that anymore because they're in the service. And so I can say they don't do that anymore. Uh, but they used to, years and years ago, used to argue and, and fight, and especially when they were little. And one thing we said a million times to our daughters was this, love your sister more than you love being right. Love your sister more than you love being right. You ever think about how right we could be towards each other? We just looked at that verse, Proverbs 18, 13. But you ever think about if we were the kind of people that truly wanted to speak our minds every time we had something to say, think about how enjoyable life would be. It wouldn't be very enjoyable at all. But if we love the other person more than we love being right, then all of a sudden grace is like the oil on the squeaky gears of life and it allows us to actually have a peaceful existence. If you're the type of person who says, well, pastor, I want you to know I'm just the type of person who always speaks my mind, that's not a good thing. There are days I wake up, and if I spoke my mind, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble. And I'm sure you feel that way, not just about the people in your life, but maybe even towards me. But what happens when we look at each other with grace, and we love each other more than we love being right? Paul sympathized with Philemon's perspective. He was a wise apostle. A wise Christian, may God help us to be the same. How else can we bring healing to a situation? Maybe you've got somebody you're at odds with this morning. 
Paul gives us a second principle here in verses 18 and 19. We've summarized it like this. We can sacrifice something on their behalf. We can sacrifice something on their behalf. Verse 18. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is where it gripped me this week. Verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Number two, we can sacrifice something on their behalf. Onesimus probably used the money that he had stolen to pay his passage to Rome. Uh, We don't know what the penalty would have been, but there would have also been a penalty attached uh, to him leaving, even if he hadn't stolen anything. He himself was property to Philemon. And notice what Paul doesn't do. Again, Paul doesn't demand that Philemon just forgive and forget. He doesn't do that. Paul knows somebody has to pay. There has to be a sacrifice. And so he says in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Where did Paul get the money? Again, just kind of imagining this week, maybe he had some money left over from his uh, tent sale that he used to, used to run his business before he got put in prison. Maybe he had some money left over from missionary support. Uh, maybe he didn't have any money. Maybe he just was knew that if he got out of prison, he was going to work hard and raise the money to pay for Onesimus and bring reconciliation back to Philemon. If you're taking notes, you might underline the word charge in verse 19 or 18. It's a legal word. It's a Greek promissory note. It's a Roman IOU. In the same way that you sign for your credit card charge this week, Paul was signing with his own hand. I learned that Roman law required every IOU to be signed personally. And so Paul was doing this. He says, I'm writing this part with my own hand. I love you this much that I am promising to pay what he owes. Here's a good principle for us, another general principle for life. It goes like this. True forgiveness is never fair and it's never free. True forgiveness is never fair and it's never free. There's a seminary professor in Pennsylvania by the name of R.C. Sproul. He tells the story of throughout the semester, he was teaching a freshman seminary class, there was a group of uh, young, aspiring pastors who were late on some of their assignments. And they said, Dr. Sproul, we've got families. Uh, We're just trying to make ends meet. Please give us a little bit of grace with our deadline. And sure enough, Dr. Sproul gave them another week. Well, some of them were finished with their assignment, their papers, and within a week after that, he gave a little more grace, he gave a little more grace, and a little more grace. Well, the second paper was due, same thing. Dr. Sproul, give us a little bit of grace. We're running late on our papers. Uh, Please just uh, don't, don't, don't give us a zero. Give us a little bit of time. And so he gave a little bit of grace, and he gave a little bit of grace, and he gave a little bit of grace. And then finally, the people who turned their papers in last... Uh, really bothered some of the people who had turned their papers in earlier, and they demanded justice. He says, tells the story. They came to him after class and says, Dr. Sproul, we don't believe this is fair. Now, we appreciate the grace you've given us for a few weeks, but come on, some of these people are way late. This isn't fair. 
And so Dr. Sproul asked him a question. He says, do you want what's fair? Oh, yes, Dr. Sproul, we want what's fair. He said, do you want justice? Oh, yes, Dr. Sproul, we don't feel it's fair. Our papers were only two weeks late. Their papers are five weeks late, and they get the same grade we get. That's not fair. He said, okay. Tell you what, let me do. He took out his grade book, went back, found their name, and whatever grade they had gotten with two weeks of grace, he gave them a zero. And then he went down through their other paper and gave them a zero. They said, Dr. Sproul, what are you doing? He goes, oh, you wanted what's fair. I'm going to give you what's fair. Anybody who's ever had a paper late, one minute late, gets a zero from this point forward. And there was an uprising in the class. Oh, Dr. Sproul, that's, that's not what we want. And he said, what do you want? Do you want grace or do you want what's fair? And I humbly ask you as your pastor, what do you want? Do you want grace or do you want what's fair? Let us not be a people who walk about life demanding justice. For if we demand justice of God, there's not one of us who can stand in his presence. If we walk about saying, oh, we need more justice and we need more fairness, we might as well all call it a day. There's no hope for us in heaven. But if we're a people of, just, a people of grace and we say, dear Lord, give me more grace, even though this person deserves justice and, and they deserve punishment and they deserve penalty, we want to be a people of more grace. Now, it's easy to say that on Sunday morning. But tomorrow's coming, and how we leave this auditorium, I'm convinced, will determine the impact we have on Charleston. May we be a people, not of justice, but be a people of grace. Toward the end of the Civil War, Pennsylvania Representative Thaddeus Stevens was arguing to President Lincoln that when the war was over, the enemy must be crushed. Imprisonment, death, hangings all around. President Lincoln responded to Mr. Stevens and said this, Mr. Stevens, do I not destroy my enemy when I make them my friend? Do we not destroy our enemies when we make them our friend? How do we get the power to do this? Where does this come from? This comes from the, the picture that Philemon is all about, the whole book. You ever think about how the Gospels never mention word for word in this book, but it's all over the place. Let's think about who we are. Um, are we the Apostle Paul? Probably not. I personally associate more with Onesimus, the runaway slave. And I think if you thought about it long enough, you might also. We've offended the Lord. We're guilty before God. We've all known, even this week we've done things that we wish we hadn't done. And so here we have uh, Philemon could perhaps be representative of, of God the Father. We have, we've offended God. We've stolen from God. We've taken his glory for our own. And let's think about the Apostle Paul. He steps in between two parties who are at odds with each other. And the Apostle Paul says, look, I'll do the sacrifice. I'll pay the price so that you, Onesimus, can be reconciled to you, Philemon. And in the same way, Jesus 
came to earth 2,000 years ago and said, you, Larry, you, Sam, you, Susie, have offended God, my father. And Father, I'm going to pay the price so that they don't have to spend eternity apart from you. And for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel is the good news that the living God, who demands perfection of all humankind, sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a sinless life to suffer and die on the cross as a substitute for our sins, absorbing the judgment we rightfully deserve, to rise again, to ascend back into heaven, and to grant forgiveness and righteousness and His Spirit and eternal life at the moment anyone repents and believes. The gospel, Christ in us, gives us the power to be people of grace sacrifice something on their behalf, sympathize with their perspective. But Paul gives us one more application, one more way that we can love our enemies and turn them into friends. Number three, we can serve them in some way. We can serve them in some way. Sympathize, sacrifice, and serve. Verse 19 I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Here's the question. Had Onesimus done something wrong? Do you think he did anything wrong? Sure he did. He broke the law. He stole, thou shalt not steal. So if Paul doesn't appeal to law, he appeals to grace, and he writes to Philemon, brother, I want some benefit from you. If you're taking notes, the word benefit is from the same Greek word as the word Onesimus. Paul's using, a, he's a wordsmith, it's a play on words. He's saying, I want some benefit. I want Onesimus to be beneficial to the Lord, to you, and to me. And then in verse 20, he says, refresh my heart in Christ. It's the same idea back in verse 7 when he says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now we've all, those of us that have been in church any time at all, have heard this word somewhere before. Where have we heard it? Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? rest. It's the same Greek word. So Paul here is saying, I, I want to refresh you. I have refreshed you by giving you the gospel. Now I want you to bless me. And I'm not saying we walk around telling everybody, hey, look, I've blessed you. you know, honey, I blessed you. Now you need to bless me. Uh, I'm not saying we do that. But the principle is still the same. Relationships work best when both parties are determined to sacrifice for one another and to serve one another as much as God would give them grace. Here's a general principle, a takeaway from point three. Being a Christian is very personal, but it is never private. Being a Christian is very personal, but it is never private. Here's what we mean. Galatians chapter five talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, 
joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I think I skip patience. Patience is in there. I usually do skip patience. Um, so we got the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if, if I lived, and I used to live by myself before I got married, before I have kids, and, and I even wasn't the kind of some, many of you who, who, who the, the Lord hasn't led you to be married or have children, you're diving in community. I wasn't always like you are. I just kind of liked being by myself. And so I was in for a rude awakening when I finally got married and realized this person that I thought was loving, joyful, peaceful, oh, patient. I, all of a sudden, like, wait, what is happening? My universe was spinning out of control. Then I had kids, and it really started spinning out of control. This past Friday, we took the fifth graders to the Creation Museum over in Cincinnati, and so we got to spend the day with a group of fifth graders. It's great. It was great, but yeah, it was a busy day. And so uh, we, I thought, I'm re- really getting transparent here. Um, some of you just woke up. This is when... On the way there, I thought I was going to get to be, be alone, right? Like, I thought I was going to be alone. My daughter wanted to ride with another girl and another group, so I thought, oh, I'll get to be alone. I already had my sermons lined up on my podcast on iTunes. Like, I was going to listen to all these sermons on Philemon, and I had some music ready. I had my coffee. I had two coffees. I was ready. I was going to have a four-hour drive by myself. And we all meet up. Riley goes with her friends. And some of Riley's friends, one in particular, uh, wanted to ride with me. Hey, hey, Pastor Matt, can I, can, can I ride with you or can we ride with you? And what do you say? You know, in my heart, I'm like, no, kid. <laughs> I, I want to have time with Jesus and get off my case. But of course, I was like, uh, yes, I would love to. It was little Tyler Garrison, Matt Garrison's son. And uh, oh, man, I, I, it was an amazing experience. Like he talked the entire way from <laughs> here to, to, to there. And at one point, I said, hey, you want to listen to a sermon? And we <laughs> didn't last very long. Um, so we get there. We have the whole day at the Creation Museum. I'm with fifth graders. We get in the car on the way home. Of course, Riley's going to ride with me. We're going to have a daddy-daughter time. And, and I, I try not to exaggerate. I think it may have been the entire time. There might have been a five-minute break. Riley had gotten two plastic water bottles, okay? And she loves to sing. She loves music. And the whole way home from Cincinnati, she's like beating the drums together like this. And she's singing like every song on the radio. And it was kind of cute and pretty at first. Man, by the time I got to Ashton, I was like, baby, can you please stop? Daddy just needs some peace and quiet. So there's a point to that. The point is, it's easy for us to feel like we're great Christians until we live in community and all of a sudden life gets tough. And so God calls us, yes, to a personal relationship, but not a private relationship. If the Lord's tempting you to turn away from church because church has been hard, please, please don't. Please don't do it. To where will you go? We're created for a community. Instead, let's turn back like my friend and I did on Monday and set and talk, yes, about our differences, and yes, let's complain, and yes, let's figure out where he was hurt and where this person was hurt. But think about what God can do in our city if we would do that. We live in a small city, and really we're a small church compared to churches nationwide. We feel big, but we're really a small church in a small city. And this city is so small, it can't afford us 
not trying. Could I ask you as your pastor this week to try? I'm not telling you it's all going to work out. If you do these three things, man, they're going to come back and they're going to say, it was all my fault. You didn't do anything wrong. It may not end that way. But all oh, the gospel is made so much more glorious when we try. What's the main point this morning? Well, it's a prayer. It's simply this. Dear Lord, help me turn my enemies into friends. Help me turn my enemies into friends. Let's watch this and ask God to make it so in our hearts. Our Father, we ask you to help us to turn our enemies into friends. Lord, most of us have them. Most of us have, maybe not enemies, but we have strained relationships in our lives. Lord, one day this place, these 96 acres, are going to be teeming with activity seven days a week from sunup to sundown. And so many ministries and facilities and programs will take place on these 90 acres. But Lord, I pray that the greatest ministry that Bible Center could be known for in the next 28 and a half years would be the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, we have some work to do. And we ask for grace to help each of us sacrifice our money, our pride, time, our own reputation of being right. Lord, would you bring people back into fellowship, even if they've already found another good church, bring them back into our fellowship, 
So this can be our city and we can take Charleston for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Help us to be a people who turn our enemies into friends. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if this morning God has spoken to your heart and you know that you've never put your faith in Jesus, you're not a Christian, can I invite you right now to let today be the day? I'll pray this prayer. I invite you to pray it with me in your own heart. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you call on the name of the Lord in your heart right where you sit? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I know I've broken your law. And I've even tried to play God sometimes. But I believe you love me and sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again and can give me new life. Lord, make me a Christian. Make me a person of love. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer today, you meant it, put your faith in Christ, would you let me know I'll be out in the gathering space past the fireplace after the service. Would you let one of our pastors know or one of our leaders back in the living room or maybe Pastor Lee up front, you just let us know. Pastor, I pray that prayer. We will not embarrass you. We'll just follow up with you this week and get some good material into your hands. Christians, let's take just another minute and ask God to make us agents of peace.